needs some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China. Then this is your show, China Business Cast. Welcome to China Business Cast. Today I'm very happy to say that apparently the last episode was the most popular of all times. We already have more than 2,000 individual listeners in less than three weeks. So today I'm going to continue giving you the exclusive content that we use for training a 150-year-old Japanese corporation. I'm very excited. Today we will be talking to a dear friend of mine, Elijah Whaley. He's currently working as a CMO at Barclou, which works on China influencer marketing. They just created a very beautiful product, which just got acquired by an international corporation called Launch Metrics. And Elijah will be sharing how a company that is headquartered overseas can get integrated with the company that is located in China. Obviously, everything is different. The culture is different. The way to track impact is different. The way to manage people is different. So Elijah was very, very honest and very open about his personal experiences and going through this change. And I'm very grateful to have him on the show and to be willing and happy to share with everybody. Hope you enjoy this. Stay tuned. Please subscribe. Please share with your friends. And in just two weeks, I'll be giving you another episode from the corporate training. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Elijah. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me today. Yeah, thank um, you for inviting me. Happy to be here. It's amazing to have somebody like you tell the story to the emerging leaders at Kao. So maybe you can tell us a little bit what brought you to China, who you are, and what you do at the moment. Sure. So like you said, my name is Elijah Whaley. I'm from the States, originally from the Midwest, so right in the center, Omaha, Nebraska. I was in primarily in from very young uh, video production, and I could see that technology was changing very quickly mm -hmm. at that at that stage of my life or that stage of development, and that I knew as the equipment got cheaper and easier to use, mm. that that would compress the wage potential of mm -hmm. people who mm -hmm. work in those industries, um, just because the ease of access and use. And so mm. I recognized that, hey, I need to get out of this if mm. I want to have the type of wage potential that I really uh, desire. And I decided to go into the university and I learned that, hey, there's a place called China that's growing wow. really exponentially. And I felt like I was a little bit behind the curve as far as developing a career. Which year was it? This would have been in, went back, was 2008 or 2000. Mm. Um, so then yeah. uh, you found in the university that there's this place called China. Well, not that there's a place called China, but that <laughs> yeah, there's I'm this place that is really, really <laughs> rapidly yeah, yeah, yeah. changing. Yeah. And that, you know, at that time it was still double digit yeah. growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked at it and I just said, hey, if I go here mm. and all I have to do is grow with their growth potential mm -hmm. and the compounding of that interest mm -hmm, on my own mm -hmm. life and career that I could be in a really, really tremendous place, even mm. though I feel a little bit behind the curve because I'm going back to school at 25, mm, 26 mm. years old. So I just played it really, really mm. logically. Mm. And that's what brought me over here. And the funny thing is, is that bet actually really, really worked out. Mm. And it kind of makes sense that you would have an opportunity to grow with economic potential. Mm. And so what do you do now? 
How do you grow so, this kind yeah. of potential? So <laughs> I, I thought that I would get out of video, but mm -hmm. the first project I did when I came over here mm -hmm. was work with Tencent on a big oh, video really? production back wow. in the U US. Uh -huh. So I got sent back there. But, but essentially, wanna... since I've been here, I've been in marketing technology startups. Mm -hmm. Then maybe you and, can explain what this means uh, for China, marketing technology startup. Yeah. I'm sure uh, for you it is very usual high-level vocabulary, but yeah. uh, for me sometimes it's like I'm a bit intimidated with all <laughs> of the big yeah. words. I didn't use MarTech, so <clears throat> but mar yeah. marketing technology <laughs> essentially is using the data that's created on the internet, mm -hmm. we capture a lot of that data and we mm -hmm. analyze it and we see what is the behavior of users on the internet, which tell you about, mm -hmm. you know, what they're viewing or what they potentially want to view and what their purchase behavior might be, their app user um, behavior, which then allows you to create strategies for mm -hmm. businesses to communicate with those users and then drive them to take certain actions that you want them to, to take. So mm -hmm. there's the mm -hmm. analysis of data. And then there's the, you can imagine, you know, creating advertising or mm -hmm. different types of um, communication campaigns online mm -hmm. and then driving them towards some sort of action, whether it be online or potentially offline mm -hmm. also. And then you restart that circle of collecting that data mm. and then reusing it. So it's it. like to, to make sense of the consumer behavior through the use of analytics by collecting their data. Correct, correct. Or, mm -hmm. and, and they just, the entire potential process of mm -hmm. creating campaigns or, you know, video like what we're doing right now, mm -hmm. um, how that's distributed online and what's the messaging that you take. And mm -hmm. you really start to understand concepts like um, the medium is the message. Mm -hmm. And what the medium is the message means is mm. how someone is accessing information mm -hmm. influences what the interpretation of that, that message is mm -hmm. and so when someone communicates to you through different channels it mm -hmm. means different things i remember something very very interesting that you communicated uh, earlier mm. is that by the end of the day usually the influencer or the key opinion leader becomes influenced so it's no oh. longer influencing <laughs> you yeah. through their original or authentic self but yeah. they become the servant to the masses interests and so is this the kind of yes. solution by the mark tech? <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's an interesting so i specifically for the last five six years have focused on influencer marketing mm. in china we call kols mm -hmm. and maybe you and can I've, give a definition because yeah a kol is a key opinion leader they were like so why does this work <laughs> and how does this work why is this any different sure sure well that was one of the interesting things for me when i was working in a my first marketing technology company, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was a content marketing director. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually helping brands produce content to be distributed online. Mm -hmm. And we would have a distribution team and I would send out my stuff to them and they'd say, oh, we're going to use all these KOLs. And I was like, well, what the hell's a KOL? Mm -hmm. And they said, it's a key opinion leader. And I said, well, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they said, well, it's people that are popular on the internet, on mm -hmm. social media and blogs and these things. And I was like, okay. That's very interesting because this is exactly why I got out of video production mm. because I recognized that the creation of content mm. was going to become decentralized mm. and fractionalized mm. and democratized. Mm -hmm. And there was also an aspect that I didn't understand was that the distribution of that content through social media platforms mm. would allow 
a massive, massive diversification in how media was, was spread. And then through cell phone technology, the consumption changed. Anybody who wanted to talk about something that's uniquely interesting to them mm -hmm. could create content around it could distribute it and people that were interested in that topic could consume it, mm -hmm. which allowed these very, very small communities to start to form around niche topics and interests. And now you can hear stories from the ground or these, mm -hmm. that type of concept. And when I saw this and I, I went, that's exactly what I was, why I got out of that industry. Mm -hmm. And I can see that this is the future. I know mm -hmm. that decentralization is the future, not just in this industry, but in all industries mm -hmm. because of the, potential for optimization. Mm -hmm. And and then I was like, well, I'm going to figure out how to get very involved with this industry. Mm -hmm. So a short time later, um, I met a really talented young lady and we started to date mm -hmm. and she was a makeup artist. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I said, hey, I think if you'd like, we can build a business around mm -hmm. this concept. Mm -hmm. and, and that was my foray into, uh, into the real world of influencer marketing. And then later... We'll talk more about that maybe, but yeah, maybe you now. can just to say that now you're the CMO. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. I, I was previously the CMO mm -hmm. of a mm -hmm. of a KOL marketing technology mm -hmm. um, company, a platform, mm -hmm. um, a marketplace, and it was just last year acquired by a global um, mm -hmm. technology marketing technology company, and so mm -hmm. now we're going through a transformation. That's very interesting. Yeah. And I will get back into that uh, mm. later. Yeah. But uh, something that really interests me mm. is the decision making behind uh, curating all the downstream. So mm. imagine it is totally decentralized, right? Yeah. But the brand uh, has to have a message that uh, stays and performs, even though mm. it is decentralized parties that are now spreading the message. Yeah. So how do you help the brands stay in control? And how do you make sure that all of these people, because it's like, I don't know, thousands, millions sometimes in China, how can they communicate the same message? Because... One of the key questions though, that Kao has asked me is how do you make your communication accessible? Like, yeah. um, especially as a foreigner yeah. in Chinese, uh, maybe you have an example of something that worked or maybe, I don't well, know. Well, I'll, I'll maybe speak a bit of theory mm. around it. Okay. Um, because for me also, it's really fascinating and very interesting yeah, because yeah. you need to probably really simplify the very essential mm. thought. Yeah. And only then open up the doors for all of those mm. decentralized parties to come in. Yeah. So one of the things to think about in these new forms of communication and um, new forms of communication strategies that have to align with them are, is the aligning uh, a brand's communication with the expectation of what a user is trying to extract from the environment that they're in. So what that means, I'll try to give a, an example of that. <laughs> in, in China, actually our social media applications mm -hmm. and our content applications and our e-commerce applications mm -hmm. actually have the exact same functionality mm -hmm. in all of them. They're literally, the, the functionality, how they're used and how you navigate is very different potentially, mm -hmm. but they all functionally are the same. So what does that mean for a brand, though, is the user expectation, the reason why they engage with an application is very different. Mm -hmm. So when they go on to an application like people know about TikTok or, mm -hmm. or a short video application, their goal 
is to be entertained, to、mm-hmm. waste time.、Mm-hmm. It's a period where you have a gap in your life that you want to fill with something that's interesting,、mm-hmm. and、uh, where an application like WeChat or an application that's meant for communication、mm-hmm. is meant to communicate with someone. It's it's an actionable, it's a utility、mm-hmm. application, a an e-commerce application. The intentionality、mm-hmm. is to buy something, and so really, what it is is there's a value expectation and extraction、mm-hmm. that a user is trying to get out of an application,、mm-hmm. and a brand's communication needs to be aligned with the expected value style, extraction. As well, probably. But the、right? style, the style is、mm-hmm. really important. But it, that it's aligned with that value expectation mm-hmm. extraction, mm-hmm. so that there's not dissonance,、mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that when A brand communicates on a TikTok or a short video platform. They、mm-hmm. better be short, and funny,、mm-hmm. and interesting, and bright, and engaging,、mm-hmm. because they need to capture them in a very short amount of time, and they need to help someone waste their time. So、mm-hmm. it needs to be somewhat mindless. While on a utility application, they need to communicate some sort of value. A lot of Brands here will use them as like a CRM,、mm-hmm. and so they need to be about giving you the best prices or、mm-hmm. communicating how a product works、the、or why you should buy functionality、mm-hmm. and things. And so aligning this is really, really、mm-hmm. important. Is this idea of aligning your communication with the expected value extraction? What that means for a lot of brands, though, is and when you really go deep into that rabbit hole, a lot of brands. How they communicate and what they say and how they present themselves is extremely rigid.、Mm-hmm. But the reality is, when you have fractionalized media and e- different user expectations of value extraction, you have to be flexible,、mm-hmm. and you have to give someone what they want, and you、mm-hmm. need to align your brand with the expected value that someone wants to extract from it. So, in the past, I believe that brands. Were more rigid in that they told people who they were and what they wanted, and、mm-hmm. what and and the communication was very one way.、Mm-hmm. Now the communication is very much two way, if、mm-hmm. not led by the consumer,、mm-hmm. and you have to align with what their extraction is. So you have to be listening to your consumers. You、mm-hmm. have to allow them to guide the conversation. And one of the reasons why modern brands failed so badly on social media, there's very few brands in, China, I mean. in, the, world. in the world.、Mm-hmm. There's very few brands that really dominated and did well on social media,、mm-hmm. especially more traditional brands, is because they always came in with "This is how we communicate、mm-hmm. to customers. We talk about ourselves.、Mm-hmm. We talk about our discounts, and we're very cold and very rigid." And so that created an opening for influencers or KOLs who are mirrors, and they're mirrors to users.、Mm-hmm. They create content, and then there's this feedback loop of comments、mm-hmm. and likes、mm-hmm. and and reshares. And they live for that feedback loop, and they know, oh, I created a piece of content that does not align with the expectation of the user and their value extraction. So I'm not going to make that anymore.、Mm-hmm. I'm going to alter how that is. And this feedback loop makes the influencer actually just a mirror of their audience.、Mm-hmm. They are aligning themselves with the value that is meant to be extracted.、And、this is where. The brands of now and of the future are so much more flexible、mm-hmm. because they're listening to customers and they're becoming mirrors of of those things. And the fortunate thing is, we have the data and the technology、mm-hmm. that helps brands mine that information out so that they can do that type of thing. 
Okay, so I think for me, it sounds a lot about this high context and low context communication, because in a high context communication here in China, I would need to go and adapt to the person's image of me if I want to engage the person. And so it's not how, what is my communication style. I actually need to know what is your communication style, Elijah, if I want to talk to you and I need to be prepared to use the right words. Right, uh, sentences and maybe even some backstories, you know, yeah. and it all has to be prepared in advance in order to convince you that uh, we should be doing something together. Mm-hmm. And um, I wonder, because you're working with foreign brands, how do they feel about it? And where is this line between staying authentic, kind of surrendering to your consumer's needs because this is what generates sales? Yeah, so... When we see brands fail in their communication strategies in China, it's when they're not sensitive mm-hmm. and they're not listening. It's because they come in and say, this is how we think, this is how we communicate, this mm. is what we want to do, and we don't really care about the potential context mm-hmm. of the surrounding of what that might mean to mm-hmm. someone, the receiver of that. This is where we see PR, you know, disasters for mm-hmm. certain brands. It's because they don't, they do not have this sensitivity around cultural sensitivity, cu- especially cultural sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Around their communication. And it causes a lot of problems. And rightfully so. They're not listening. They're just, they're being one way and they're being very selfish mm-hmm. in their communication. And that's one mm-hmm. of the biggest challenges that it's brands will have almost. here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll have here. And, you know, a lot of foreign brands for a long time benefited from the fact that they have perceptions of wealth and mm-hmm. quality and and there's a desire for, you know, feeling international or something like that. Mm-hmm. That one of the reasons why there's been a lot of purchasing benefited so much from the purchasing power of Chinese customers. Mm-hmm. I think that's changing though. And I think mm-hmm. that I really really believe mm-hmm. that this next decade will be the decade of Chinese brands. Mm-hmm. Because they understand branding and how to make a brands better mm-hmm. and they've been making all of the brand the products mm-hmm. that those other brands have been selling anyways yeah, they, they just have been they've here. been produced yeah, yeah, yeah. here they've been literally yeah. created here you know in, cer- in certain scenarios shipped out of the company yeah, country yeah. and shipped back in it's a ridiculous process yeah. and that quality and that ability exists here and in some ways, it's the cultural sensitivity of Chinese brands mm-hmm. that will be able to serve Chinese consumers better in the future with the same quality of products. So during your daily work, mm. when you need to get this message across to your team mm. or to the brands overseas, um, how do you do that? Same position that I'm in. I'm mm. in the middle between the West and the East. And then you're just in the middle thinking of ways how to make those two understand each other. Yeah. And I think that's what your daily tasks are. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering how, you know, how do you live through this? <laughs> well, there is a really, really interesting communication secret. And that is the person that is asking questions is the person that is leading a conversation. Mm. And we think that speaking makes you the dominant in a conversation, Mm. but it's actually the listener Mm. that's asking questions that's guiding where the conversation goes. Mm. And And so you're very good at that. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you want to, if you want to influence someone, you listen to them Mm -hmm. and then you ask poignant questions that allow the individual to think 
really, really think about the what's and the hows、mm-hmm. and the whys of the situation that they're in, and that. You know, I, I trust that most the people that I deal with are highly intelligent and、mm. can figure these things out for themselves. And knowing that me telling someone isn't going to necessarily change their mind, they have to change their own minds. And、mm. anything that I say, anyways, is the moment that it leaves my mouth and enters their ears is an、mm-hmm. altered state、mm-hmm. of whatever I've said as they internalize that thing. And so, how much better is it for it to change within them? And then come out, and so I find that the best communication and the best way to change someone's mind is just to listen, and it allows you then to also understand where is someone coming from, why are they coming from that way. I remember you were telling me that、uh, your team is always feeling your kind of familial presence, where you're just like this brother more than leader,、mm. and you never critique them. Because you feel that you need to be encouraging and supportive and、yeah. allow them to open up and、uh, show their true potential, but then when you look at them with one crossed eye, <laughs> they know what's up. Maybe、yeah. you can share more about how this evolved and how this works in your team. One of my life goals is to master encouragement、hmm. and gratitude for yourself or for the team. For, the, for, uh, <laughs> as 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 a goal to. I, I don't to to contribute to、mm-hmm. whatever environment I'm in, with whoever I'm interacting with,、mm. and I think that. Well,、um, I feel that very much today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Great, and in that space of encouragement and gratitude, and when you over-index on this thing that one, I don't believe that there's quite enough of because people believing in themselves gives them the capability to do anything. And you know, there's plenty of science behind this stuff.、There's、so, how do you of... make sure it's what you need done that they will do when they are so encouraged to be themselves? Well, that's. I mean, <laughs> there's still practical applications、yeah. of you build a strategy,、mm-hmm. and you know what the vision for the、mm-hmm. end is. This is what finished looks like,、mm-hmm. and、mm-hmm. we can build a little roadmap back、mm-hmm. from that and get to where we are right now. But how you execute on that and how it gets done,、mm-hmm. I don't care.、Mm-hmm. I care that it gets done with、so、a high quality. So have intermittent、uh, milestones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We use OKRs、okay. and you know content calendars or you know or different types of、mm-hmm. communication to make sure that things are being processed and,、mm-hmm. and executed properly. Because I know that when you put out some content out there, it's beautiful.、Mm. Like it is very subtle, but、mm. really to the point.、Mm. So it is very surprising that you can manage it in such a decentralized manner,、Mm-mm. because you would assume that to consistently have this high quality, there would be one or two people constantly, you know,、uh. being perfectionists、uh. about stuff、uh. and overseeing that things get done properly.、Yeah. So maybe you can tell me how this、uh, method evolved and why do you feel even comfortable being so decentralized、uh, in that? Yeah, well, I、uh, I believe that the only way to scale. Is through trust,、mm-hmm. and if everything has to pass through me, there are there's a limitation, and that limitation is myself.、Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a severe dyslexic.、Mm-hmm. I can't proofread stuff、mm-hmm. because I can't see the errors.、Mm-hmm. I mean, I I will make. I'm the one who makes the errors, not、mm-hmm. I'm the one who fixes things, and so it has to be established through trust.、Mm-hmm. And 
One of the problems that a, a lot of creators have of, of many things is they have a theoretical place in their mind <laughs> that they're trying to create something. Mm -hmm. And when reality never lines up with the theoretical place in our minds. Mm -hmm. And so that can be a huge limitation mm -hmm. to actually producing and distributing to other people, people because the not the theoretical place. Yeah. Well, and they don't know what exists mm -hmm. in your mind. Mm -hmm. All they know is the thing that they're consuming. It is so much better to produce with the goal of value creation mm -hmm. and to do this as repetitively and consistently and as high a value as possible mm -hmm. and deliver. You gotta deliver. Mm -hmm. And so that's think, that's really uh, what it mistakes, comes down to. Uh, mistakes are very normal in China. They're not so rigid mm. as we are in Europe. Mm. In particular, working with uh, my kind of clients that are European companies, so the, the teams in China, they feel very stressed out because yeah. everything has to be, you know, perfect. perfect. Otherwise, if there is a little mistake, people will not take you seriously anymore because yeah. this is how they judge whether this person is professional or not. Yeah. Whereas in China, there is a whole different set of uh, criteria to be a professional. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've talked about this in length and I've thought about it in length as just... The Chinese have, you know, or the West has a very Aristotelian logic, which mm -hmm. Aristotle is this, yes, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. absolutes of A equals yeah, B yeah. or doesn't equal B. It's very binary mm. and that black and white where you see in Asian culture, we have the yin and yang. And we mm. know that there is white in the black and black in the white. And so there is this idea that there is no perfect mm. for someone like me who makes lots of mistakes it's a mm. perfect place to be mm. Mm. because there's uh there's a lot of there's um, forgiveness for that yeah totally yeah. absolutely yeah yeah so i think that that's more aligned with my personality too so i'm wondering since you just have been acquired by mm. a global company and yeah. you keep saying that um, there's this black and white which merges so well here in china mm. so how does this black and white is merging between your Chinese company and the Western minded. Uh, oh yeah, I see the sign. How do you feel? <laughs> I know of other people who have had their companies acquired mm. and I know how challenging that can potentially be. Mm. You know, it's just where, wherever you are, uh, each organization has its own culture mm. and ways of doing things and processes and all of that. And mm. trying to bring together two dissimilar elements at times is going to create a tremendous amount of friction. So this is one mar marketing technology company and yeah. another marketing technology company. So how much of this dissimilar process could there be? Well, I mean, <laughs> a lot. Insane. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to. What do you talk? I don't about? know how to, uh, you know, give a uh, to quantify that. But one is, you know, China's very unique ecosystem. Mm. You know, we don't have all the applications or not the same metrics. Even, not the right? same metrics. Mm -hmm. Not the same. The, the entire thing is completely different. It's as different as. You know, one language is from the next in, mm. in many ways. And but so I think the ideas sometimes can be similar to what I, you want to communicate. Ideas can be similar. Mm. I think that's one of the funny things that I've run into is I'm actually working with a lot of Americans mm -hmm. and, and then many Europeans. But there is a very, very strong disconnect from mm -hmm. understanding China and the technology here and the culture here and mm. the ways of operating. 
and, you know, in government regulations and things mm. that can be quite serious too, laws, these things have been really surprisingly difficult to communicate because I had not fully realized one, maybe how Chinese I had become, mm. nor how disconnected sometimes the rest of the world can be from something that is in some ways insular. You know, it, it, China has so much power and so much impact and influence and things coming from here. And it's, mm. you know, very, very much, you know, a, a, a world power, but it's not really well understood. And mm. part of that is, you know, Chinese aren't really that great at soft power mm. at this point. Mm. The export of culture, you know, especially when it's compared to somewhere like America, mm -hmm. is is very different. And it's very on a different scale. And that's basically marketing. That's why you're here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so they have a lot of work to do mm. when it comes to soft power initiatives and people understanding. But the, the, the Chinese part of the business you just told me will become 25% of this. It is. Uh, it already is. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. It's huge. This new company. Well, so how... How will this power dynamic work and it, how will it affect your position in particular? Mm. Because now you no longer are responsible to manage the team here in China, but also to please people overseas who yeah. have never been here, yeah. who don't know what you're talking about. They can yeah. only imagine. So it's a really, really wonderful challenge. Mm. <laughs> Wherever there's a challenge, that's where the opportunity is. Mm -hmm. That's where the, the bigger the challenge, the bigger the opportunity. And mm -hmm. so the more difficult something is, you know, I just, sometimes you just look at it as job security. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. there's, there's so few people that can or want to take on this thing that that gives you a lot of blue ocean, blue ocean, and also mm -hmm. latitude to do it the way that you think it is best. Be best. Mm -hmm. And, and that's one of the things around management that I was kind of saying previously is mm -hmm. this idea that how the process is done matters so much less than the results. Mm. And that's where the freedom and the trust comes in that this is the vision. This is what we're creating. Mm. I don't care how it's created mm. because I know that there is all of these paths to getting things done. Mm. And my way is not superior. And I don't even want mm. you to attempt my way because my way is very unique to my personality and mm. experiences mm. And, and abilities. You do this thing your way and we will measure those results based upon its impact mm. and how, you know, even sometimes it doesn't have to be like this rigid vision that we've created, mm -hmm. but did it produce the results that we needed it to produce? Mm. And this is the most important measure of anything is, is the results. So what do you track? What do we track In as far as... Results. You know, what for, the metrics for me as a marketer, we're measuring reach. We're mm -hmm. measuring, you know, how many people engaged with a piece of mm -hmm. content. You know, we're in this, I love the term, the attention economy. Mm -hmm. This idea mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. hey, we know that each person has only so much attention, yeah. so much time in the day mm -hmm. that they can focus and, and do anything. And how many people can you aggregate their attention towards your organization or towards what you're selling. And then we mm. have these different stages of engagement from attention. So you have this awareness, someone knows that you exist, mm. and then you have a levels of engagement, mm. you know, engaging with the brand and asking questions. And, and then you have the sales, mm -hmm. you have this period of, of converting into a customer. And then hopefully the more and more and, and the more and more I have been focused on this is loyalty and even more so mm. 
we create awareness, mm -hmm. which means a customer is aware of a brand. And then they go through potentially uh, only a portion of them are mm -hmm. going to engage. Mm -hmm. They're going to learn more about this brand and what the opportunity, what value could they potentially get from it. Mm -hmm. And then they'll go into a, a stage of sales and hopefully into conversion. But the most important stages, and this is what I'm most interested in now, are stages of loyalty and advocacy mm -hmm. and advocacy being the most important one. And the reason why is because only advocacy in a marketing cycle mm -hmm. can compound mm -hmm. and compound interest is the most amazing mathematical equation. Mm -hmm. And if you can get more customers to talk about you, the awareness that they generate compounding over time can be extremely mm -hmm. significant mm -hmm. for a brand. And that's the also the signifier of that you are doing something very, very special when someone is willing to talk about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay, we're now basically talking to people who work in a company that's 150 years old. Yeah. And this company is uh, very particular in the process management. Mm. So they are actually very interested in the process and they're very interested in details. Mm. Sometimes uh, maybe too much because mm. this is where the success lies often, or at least used to lie in yeah. a more linear kind of business development. Yeah. So I wonder, maybe you have an example of how you would formulate a task and would still see a result that is pleasing you. And how would a leader rephrase the, this task setting without the process or focus on the process? And how can you find courage to do that and uh, focus on trust? Well, I mean, this this is where the innovator's dilemma comes in. And it's the idea that typically older brands cannot innovate. And the innovator's dilemma is that in a blue ocean space, they do not have the time, talent, and resources to divert away from revenue generating mm. initiatives to go into something that potentially has high risk. Only individuals with Seed capital mm, can go into lose. and do those things. And that's why you get Amazons instead mm. of Walmarts, or that's why you get, you know, Googles instead of IBMs and mm -hmm. things like that is because they can't afford to go into blue ocean spaces. Mm. That's what that means. Mm. It doesn't mean that you can't innovate within the space you live. It means that you won't see Google going into blockchain mm. and the next version of the internet is going to be created by a different company. It's not going to be created by Google. Mm -hmm. And that's because a Google cannot afford to get away from advertising on traditional mm -hmm. internet structures. However, the application just in a really micro version mm -hmm. of that within an organization for me is the reason why we businesses create tasks or create processes is because when someone churns out, they want to be able to replace that individual and that person do exactly what the person did before to execute mm. on a task mm. to get something done. Mm. But if you always do things the exact same way mm -hmm. every time, your results are very predictable. Mm -hmm. And the problem with it is your results are very predictable. Mm -hmm. You're only going to get what that original process mm -hmm. you created produces. So there's no way to become a unicorn. There's Well, there's no <laughs> way for it to ever get better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have no innovation at the at the employee's workers level. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and it's one of the reasons why the people who know how will mm -hmm. always work for the people who know why. Mm 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and it's because they are locked into these very rigid ways mm -hmm. of doing things. And there's no opportunity for innovation to happen mm -hmm. within, within the worker's day mm -hmm. because they're not allowed to freely think and, and experiment and try something else. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no acceptance of potential failure mm -hmm. in the endeavor for mm -hmm. optimization and revolutionizing potentially even just some mundane task. Mm -hmm. And this is where, you know, I can't speak to a 150 year old mm -hmm. business and say, mm -hmm. hey, you're doing things wrong mm -hmm. because they're not. They've been mm -hmm. around for 150 years. Mm -hmm. That's a fantastic and wonderful achievement. Mm -hmm. And actually, I talked to quite a few Chinese friends of mine who all say that what Kao is doing in China is amazing. Sure. Actually, they're not out of uh, touch with the realities of today. Huh. So I think it is because they... Well, ask people like me to talk to people like you and uh, bring up these sure, ideas. Sure, sure. Exactly. <laughs> Before it's too late, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and so they obviously have something in there mm -hmm. that is, I can't imagine that it's too dissimilar to mm -hmm. some of these ideas that there is innovation happening within the organization mm -hmm. because there's nothing like, how much has the world changed in 150 mm -hmm. years? It's insane. There's no way that there's not a culture of innovation in mm -hmm. the organization. They wouldn't have survived. So, have you personally faced some kind of failure in uh, this work environment because of uh, your, I don't know, lack of awareness, lack of knowledge? And how did you, or maybe your team, yeah. after you trusted them and gave them the freedom to set their own processes, didn't deliver what you expected? And how did you manage that? I'm just wondering from the human perspective how to deal with these challenges because you yeah. still need to be strict. Yeah. As a boss, right? You cannot be yeah, loosely minded. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there I mean, have to be consequences. <laughs> correct, so. correct. You know, the vision is agreed upon. Mm. This is what we're producing. And these are the expectations, the results that we have to reach. Mm. And when we do not reach these results, there are going to be consequences. Mm -hmm. There has to be. And, and it's not because this is a punishment. Mm. We're not punishing people. Mm -hmm. We're doing this because this is Joint what is mission. producing. This is what is producing your job and your mm -hmm. income. Mm -hmm. And if we do not produce these results, then we are not producing your income. Mm -hmm. And the misalignment from what needs to happen and what happened is the differential in your income. It's <laughs> mm, mm, mm. <laughs> a very bi there's a very mathematical there's there's a cold way of looking mm, at it and mm. it's and it works very well. It's, if we don't produce these very results. Honest also, yeah, very yeah. transparent. That there's nothing to actually judge. Actually you have to contribute otherwise we cannot contribute. Correct. Right? It's a mutual interest. Correct. Correct. Mm. And so you know and that's where one of the beautiful things of if you distill it down to those mm -hmm. things too you allow this person then to produce the results that they need to produce mm -hmm. to be able to produce their income mm -hmm. in this organization and it sounds like you as a leader you know what you're doing and you don't want to change your style of leadership if that person is not capable to deliver the results that you agreed upon in the beginning so it's not that you will start multi managing, micromanaging no, micro uh, a person that is not capable to work according to your style of leadership. Yeah. But you will rather choose a person who's capable and uh, who's interested and who understands this uh, honest and transparent communication that's focused on mutually interesting results. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. And, I think that's you know, the takeaway for me, at least. The wonderful thing, though, is for me, is I have, I have yet to run into an employee or someone that does not thrive in freedom. We can discuss that a lot because we're in China. And uh-huh. the freedom in China, you know, is a very controversial topic, <laughs> which I agree. I, I feel mm-hmm. a lot of freedom here. But in my experience, the teams are not very interested in freedom. They are interested in being safe and mm-hmm. making sure that they deliver what they're expected to deliver. Yeah. So I wonder how you... Yeah, it's a, the management style. So my, my biggest failure experiences mm-hmm. have been joining organizations that had steep hierarchical mm-hmm. power structures that when I got into them and I started to do my thing, mm, mm. they rubbed so hard with what was taking place mm. that I could not implement the what you can. and create the mm-hmm. impact that I needed to create mm-hmm. to generate the revenue <laughs> that justified yeah, yeah. Yeah. what I was doing. And, and I was never, I've never been asked to leave. I've always exited, you know, bowed myself mm-hmm. out because mm-hmm. I recognized that, hey, what I do doesn't fit in this culture. Mm. This was my mistake. Mm. And I've, I've done this two times, mm. specifically two times, where I joined organizations that had cultures that were misaligned with the value that I can bring to an mm. organization and mm. management of people. Mm. And that's okay. Mm. You know, there's, mm. again, there's so many ways of doing anything mm-hmm. that to say, you know, there, there's only one is a huge mistake. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you think is uh, different in being a leader in China as compared to the West, especially now that you're seeing the merger of these two companies that are somewhat similar but somewhat different? Yeah, you know, one of the hard things for Chinese are is speaking up. Mm-hmm. You know, they from a very early stage in their education, it's a very passive process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, this rote memorization means that you're consuming information and you're not necessarily questioning it or processing it, you know, mm-hmm. in any type of challenging way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, I'm going to remember this thing because I need to regurgitate it later. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that seems to create habits or behaviors that are, again, passive in an environment where someone won't say something that needs to be said. And, and why? Because they're pat, because they don't have the habit of speaking up and out, mm-hmm. even when it, there's maybe some sort of disconnect or dissonance, or they know that something doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so this is where I know communication styles of listening and mm-hmm. asking questions are far superior mm-hmm. to most other forms of communication is because if you command and control and tell, and you are not listening to the people who are doing the work mm-hmm. or have the knowledge that you might not have, you have a huge risk here of, of not getting the feedback that you need. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the cultural sensitivity in China is you actually have to kind of work at extracting mm-hmm. the information that you need from people. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, my challenge to my team all the time is, and it's just sitting someone down and saying, Hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. let's just talk about mm-hmm. it. How, and how are, let's start with how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. How do you feel right mm-hmm. now? And really, really, you know, and it can be somewhat uncomfortable for people sometimes, mm-hmm. but. And what end, do they answer? 
you know, they answer whatever they answer and you mm-hmm. just keep on, there's a, there's not, not an amount of prodding or pro- mm-hmm. poking mm-hmm. someone, but a desire to truly understand. Mm-hmm. And in the end, everybody really wants to be understood. And they really notice if there is something wrong. It's not that they don't care. It's yeah. just they are taught for some reason to surrender to the big leader. Correct. Um, yeah, that's and, a steep hierarchical mm. structure. And, but and I, I think the, the wrong assumption overseas is that people don't know. Actually, they know. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. uh, just you need to give them the opportunity to tell you what they know. Right? Yeah. And ask oh, yeah. the question that's open Absolutely. enough and listen in an open enough way to really not judge whatever will come out based on their knowledge, mm. because that's true to them. And that's the big risk mm. is a foreign entity can come into China, say something wrong, and they may not be told that it's wrong. Correct, yes. And, and it's going to create a huge disaster. Thank you and very nice <laughs> yeah. to meet you and disappear. It will be silence. Yeah. Yeah. And this can be a huge, huge problem mm. is just recognizing that, you know, I, I lead some cultural initiatives within our own organization and things like that because that stuff's very important to me. Mm, interesting. And, um, what do you do? So we do one of my, my personal favorite one. Mm-hmm. This isn't so much communication, but it is is we do a an extra mile program. Mm-hmm. The employees themselves actually manage the reward systems mm-hmm. for other employees. Mm. And what they at the end of each week, we ask employees, has anybody gone the extra mile? So mm-hmm. you ask them to do something and they did it in a very superior way mm-hmm. or went above and beyond mm-hmm. what they were supposed to do and they produced really great results nice. for you. Mm-hmm. And then they submit that to HR. And then on mm-hmm. Monday, that's announced in front of everyone. There's mm-hmm. an acknowledgement mm-hmm. of superior actions mm-hmm. and going above and beyond. And then those people are rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. And we have prize drawings and things like that wow. because we want, we want to create, to curate, mm-hmm. you know, superior action. But we also want to curate, you know, for me, it's very, very important the mastery of gratitude. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's what this process mm-hmm, for me mm-hmm. is, is mastering gratitude. And doing that within a company allows, you know, life is about relationships. Mm. And organizations are just full of all of these relationships. And so how can you make these relationships deeper and more profound and mm. trusting, create compatibility and all those things? And so this is one of the, like, I really, mm. really love mm, that mm, one. Mm. Um, we also do something called bounce training. You've gone through, I think, this yeah, before. You know. So bounce conversation mm-hmm. is a 20-minute conversation mm-hmm. between two people where mm-hmm. one is a bouncer and one is a sounder. So mm-hmm. one person selects a topic that they'd mm-hmm. like that they've been processing, what's mm-hmm. on your mind. And that's and then not the, related to work. Not necessarily. Not it doesn't have to be related mm-hmm. to work at all. Mm-hmm. It can be or it doesn't have it's to be. But because we're we're mm-hmm. actually mixing all of the employees. So you might have an engineer mm-hmm. with someone who's in accounting mm-hmm. and you might have someone, you know, whatever who's in two dissimilar teams. Yeah, so you and need they sit down to understand everyone is people, right? Yeah. And they sit down for forty people. minutes mm-hmm. and they just take turns. One mm-hmm. person just listens and mm-hmm. asks questions, guides a conversation, mm-hmm. and the other person speaks and is mm-hmm. allowed to process mm-hmm. what's on their mind out loud. And that mm-hmm. can be anything from having a fight with your girlfriend to mm-hmm. having a fight with a with a which is customer. important in any culture. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so um and so this creates a really beautiful dynamic within the organization. Organization mm-hmm. where people are able to communicate with each other and understand each other. And we're not the only organization that does this. 
So it's not a waste of time. It's definitely not a waste of time. <laughs> so thank you very much. It was very inspiring for me personally, and I am sure that it will inspire all the people who are going to be watching this from all over the world. Mm. I think uh, the key takeaway for me is that you focus on the greatness and the strength of people and you encourage that and you celebrate that. And I think uh, that certainly comes from your trust in yourself and the trust in the team. So I'm really happy to know that there is an alternative to constructive criticism sessions where people come and discuss problems and come up with challenges rather than focusing on the big vision, big goal and making sure that step-by-step step is taken towards reaching that in the direction that everybody sees, however, in any personal way that they choose to mm. achieve that. So that was, I think, what I learned today. Is there any concluding remarks from you? No, I'm, I'm flattered by your statements. <laughs> I'm a small fish in a big pond, so I don't necessarily... Again, I know that there's so many ways of doing anything mm. that this is just my way. And I think having confidence in your way is, is what's really important. And, you know, that's part of the initiative is just to support mm. that in others. Mm. Yeah. That's a, I think, very unique statement. Thanks. So thank you for that. And uh, do you see any particular future for the company's transition that uh, is happening at the moment? For you? Yeah, well, there's big... Big hopes and big goals, you know, that's, that's why companies make acquisitions and are in that mode is that's a, that's a growth strategy. So I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. And, you know, I've seen kind of from the zero to one and now mm -hmm. going from one to 10 is a interesting mm -hmm. thing to participate in. Yeah. Cool. So congratulations you. on your journey and thank Thanks. you very much for Thanks. today. Thanks for having me. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry, China Businesscast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.